cool. Thank you. Good morning. Some of you guys look pretty familiar. Yeah, I remember some faces, but I, man, okay. This isn't like ESV study Bible approved podium. <laughs> All right. This thing is so thick. I need like another Bible, but it's, okay, we got a little more stouter one there. Okay. Anybody else use the ESV study Bible? It's big, isn't it? <laughs> It's really good, but it's really big. So, hey, there we go. Okay, there's no way to see that. So, yeah, um, Joel Sewell, my wife Amanda, this is like our second time away from all of our kids. <laughs> and uh, this is really, it's kind of like a honeymoon for us. I mean, like <laughs> we've been married uh, 15 years next month, and um, we've got five kids. And Yes? Would you like to take some with you? Yeah, I don't know. Who works good? Anybody know how to work? We got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, I could possibly. You got to be under 18 because I got to write them off my taxes. Otherwise, I don't want them. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so we work with Interact Ministries. And Interact is predominantly a, a church planning, disciple-making ministry. Um, Interact's based out of a little town outside of Portland called Boring, Oregon. Small little town. Um, yeah, it's really called boring, and there's lots of jokes go on with that. So, uh, so we work in what's called the North Pacific Crescent, and you'll never find that on the internet. Um, it's uh, Western Canada, Alaska, and then Eastern Russia, um, as far over as uh, how? Yeah, and it's kind of expanded. So the North, when you when you make up your own term, you can play with it however you want. So you can make this crescent like bigger or smaller. So, yeah, so that's the crescent right there. If you see the blue. There's Canada, and then you see Alaska in there, and so, yeah, it just keeps getting bigger. Pretty soon it's going to be a whole globe, but whatever. So we're just a small mission, but like you said, disciple-making, church planting. Man and I got involved with Interact because we, we have a passion for church planting. That's our desire, and it was our desire to get involved with Native American folks. So, so yeah, there we go. Did it change? So, yeah, there's my crew, uh, myself and my wife, um, and then to the right is Abigail, my oldest. And then down in the front on the left is Ruth. And she was here with me in um, November. I think it was November. And then my, our only son, Abraham. And then we got uh, Rachel is there in my lap. And then Anna is in mom's lap. And uh, man, I tell you what, Rachel's got the fakest smile you ever saw. That one that was like a whole one smile, we'll give you candy kind of thing. And the photographer's there. And it was just the wreck. But anyway, <laughs> it turned out this is the best one out of like, 2,100 pictures, so <laughs> grab your ESV study Bible and turn to Acts chapter 14 or your other Bible if you have another one. I want to look at a text this morning, <clears throat> talk about, it's going to be kind of academic a little bit, um, so maybe just, I like to interact with people because I work with interact. That's funny. Anyways, <laughs> thank you. So what, what kind of missions classes go on here? I'm sorry, I didn't look this up. I mean, do, is there a missions class going on currently this semester? What, what is it? Introduction to missions. Yeah, okay, so just the, like a biblical reasoning for missions? Okay. What else is, goes on in that class? A lot of hollering. Yeah. Fist pounding. I love it. It's great. Point. Occasional tears. Okay, good. That's good. Yeah. Let's send our kids to Frontier instead of, no, I'm just, <laughs> anyways, so what I want to do, that was a joke, anyways, um, I want to interact with you guys, but I want to read this passage for you, Acts chapter 14, 
uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're in a place called Iconium. And for lack of a better word, the backstory to what I'm about to share, they basically got chased out of there. Okay, so they're now in a place called Lystra. So I want to pick up in verses 8 to 11. And this is kind of to give a, a whole idea of what goes on. I guess I got to keep clicking it. There we go. Um, in missions. We're, we're, we're about the gospel. We're about making it clear that people understand things. But what I want to kind of present to you today, and you probably understand, everybody familiar with the concept called worldview? Is that something that's talked about around here? I, it's a pretty common topic, and it's got a lot of different connotations. So I want to kind of talk about the whole concept, and then as it relates to our work, and as it relates to making disciples. So let's just talk here about this story. So uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting there who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth. He never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. The man sprang up, began walking. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come to us in the likeness of men. Paul and Barnabas are completely unaware of what's transpiring here. There's a whole backstory to the people in Lystra in the way that they perceive reality. Does that make sense? <laughs> their, their understanding, their perception of what happened here was based on the story that they had lived in, if you will. So what we want to do is we want to just look at some objective facts here. Sorry, I'm turning around. I'm not used to this. So a crippled man who's from Lystra, now modern-day Turkey, was listening to Paul speak scripture. Obviously, he wants to be made well. Second thing, Paul saw, that, Paul saw that and said, stand up on your feet, and he sprang up on his feet and began to walk. Thirdly, when the crowd saw what had been done, they lifted up their voices, saying in another language, the gods have come down to visit us in the likeness of men. Different culture, different language, different ethnicity, different way of perceiving reality based on culture. This, this goes back to Genesis 11. This has its roots in Babel. God said, let us go and confuse the languages. So now we have different ethnicities. We have different people perceive reality in a different way. But yet the gospel is still the gospel. The power in God is salvation to save people from their lostness, from the wrath of God, bringing them into a righteous, right relationship with God himself through the work of the Lord Jesus. We all understand that, right? So what's happening here in this context is you can tell, well, maybe I'll just ask you, this is a small group, what happened here? This kind of summate it. Like you don't, Someone summate what happened. You're not going to, well, you might say the wrong thing, but we won't make you look dumb. So I know two names in here, and one's Danny and one's Ryan, so I might have to call on them here pretty quick. Okay, this fellow right here. Is that how we do it here? Well, I just make volunteers happen. Okay. You, right now. Oh, no. Yes. Um, he, I guess he was listening to Paul and he was having faith in what Paul was saying. Right. And then he made well, so Paul said, you know what? God, God can hear you. Totally. Yeah, totally. But his perception, the man who was healed, or the people in the crowd, their perception of what happened was different, wasn't it? What was their perception? Go, yeah. Um, well, we call it a demonstration of God's power. But yes. Yes. Which is why they call him God because he was thinking, okay, so you're yeah. some sort of God man, something. 
So their whole backstory, their whole understanding, I'll just kind of fly through this really fast, was an understanding, and it actually says in the next uh, verse 13, oh, no, actually in verse 12, Zeus and Hermes were these gods that were going to come back to them and visit them. And these guys are like, hey, they're here. Paul is, uh, what did they call Paul, uh, Barnabas was Zeus and Paul Hermes. So they, these guys have finally come back, and they're finally going to do what they said, and they're going to be our God. So they're understanding through their polytheistic worldview that this is the way it is, okay? So their interpretation was through a lens of life is basically what we're going for here. Um, there we go. I'll click it twice. So verse 14, let's pick up. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. They rushed into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? So there's like, hey, Paul and Barnabas are frustrated because you're not getting the story in the way the story's supposed to be gotten, but you can't blame these folks. Why are you doing these things? We're also men of nature like you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, you allowed all nations to walk in their ways. I won't go on. So understanding is that the perceived reality of what happened was based on a story. It was a story of the, Lystri, the people in Lystra. They perceived the reality. And the reality of what happened in their mind was that Zeus and Hermes were, have come down to visit them. Right? I dare to say that this is the kind of stuff that happens in missions all the time. The confusion, the confusion, the confusion. Um, I could cite story after story after story. This one hit me years ago. Um, there's a man who was a new tribe missionary. He still is a new tribe missionary. He did some consulting work for us years ago. And he presented to me this. He came up to our house um, to do a language, culture and language check with us. And I'll talk about that maybe a little bit later in terms of our work with the Stonies. But he did this thing, and he, and he showed me this slide, and I never forgot it. So he said, so he walked into a community where there was no common language. He had to learn the language and the culture. Um, it was quite a Papua New Guinea, typical new tribes, if you know much about that kind of thing. I won't go into a whole lot of that, but just kind of a um, barbaric type people. So if, I, if I'd have gone in, this is George now talking, if I'd have gone in and just learned the language and said this to them, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If I'd have done that with just understanding the Basodio language, now, based on their culture, this is how they would have perceived it. For God, yes, Yahweh, the Son, the Creator, so loved the world. And this is their interpretation. Of course he loves us. Why wouldn't he love us? We are good people. We are the Basodio people. That he gave. Well, what does he want out of the deal? What is his angle? No one gives anything without having some kind of angle he's trying to work in in order to gain something and return something in return for personal advantage. His only son. Who's his wife? How many wives does he have? That whoever believes in him shall not perish. All people perish, that's obvious, but have eternal life. I, we, have, we have become ancestors after death. We already live forever. Boy, is that what John 3.16 is saying? It's not at all, is it? It actually couldn't be any further from what John 3.16 is actually saying. Am I right? But based on a perceived reality, this is what people are understanding the, the text to say. like to liken uh, worldview to something like this. When we, when we walk through life with people, we see above the surface. There's just a little bit. And this iceberg principle, what's way down below, and that's what really is, is turning the wheels. It's making people go. Are you connecting here? Do you see in this? You see the top. And the top is lived out in, um, and help me out if I miss something here, hon. But 
the top is lived out in story. People live story every day. They walk, they get up, they do their life. And at the core of who they are, they, they, they live out what they believe, if you will. At the core of who they are, they live out. But way down below the surface is a pile of things, is their, is their worldview that, um, that makes them tick. And we only see that top layer. Are you connecting with that? As uh, Matt Chandler would say, are you tracking with me? Anybody know Matt Chandler? He always says, I'm tracking. Are you tracking with me? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, this is what's happening up top. We see this, but down below. This is what happened in Lystra. This is what happens in Eden Valley. This is what happens in Bozeman with your neighbors, the guy you stand in line behind with at McDonald's. Because of culture, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And so people interpret life through their story. So I want to talk about, real quick, this is kind of the, the classy room type stuff is uh, the whole concept of a meta-narrative. So here's a worldview, a picture of worldview. Here's someone's life down below is really what makes them tick. But what is a meta-narrative? It's a foundational, comprehensive, grand story that provides one with an understanding of the whole world and one's place within it. Does that connect with you? So let me read it again. A foundational, comprehensive story grand story that provides one with an understanding of the whole world in one's place within it. So we live in a story, right? So this next slide, my, my friend, uh, a guy I know, uh, Dr. Mike Matthews is his name, he says this, to be human is to live in a meta-narrative. That is a grand story. That is, every human lives in a story and looks at the world through a lens prescribed by that story. The worldview is embedded in and derived from the meta-narrative. That is, we're all living in a story. So what causes a guy on September 11th, 2001 to get in a plane and fly it into a building? What causes that? Why do people do stuff like that? Because of the story, the perceived reality of where they live. They think that if I do this, and I'm not sure exactly the motivation for that deal, so maybe you could comment on that, but... They think if I do this, then something will happen, right? We live in a story. I look at this and I see, I see where I came from, who I am, who this God is that made me, and I have a personal relationship and I relate to him. And also a really big part of living in this story is understanding how this story ends. And actually because of the way this story ends, I wanna be a missionary. Because I think, based on what this story says, that if this story ends the way I say, it says it does, that those who don't know the Savior, it's not going to go well for them. And that's all part of living in this story. You tracking with me? You see what I'm saying? And so if you fly a plane into a building, you live in a story and you interpret life through a lens that is in that story. And out of that, we pull worldview assumptions, core assumptions that make people do what they do. You put your clothes on today for a reason. Well, you're supposed to put clothes on and when you come to school. That's a reason. But you wore what you wore for a reason. Nobody does nothing for no reason. You did that. You're going to eat lunch today for a reason. And it, you're going to eat certain things that you do and don't. And it's not necessarily, it's, it's at the core of who you are. It's shaping what you're doing is your worldview. Are you tracking with me? Is that? Okay. So this is the problem. This is the this is the heavy, listen, this is the, where we got to roll up our sleeves and missions and get dirty with people, get busy and get down at where they're at, where they're living, what's making them tick. And it's hard. I mean, um, wherever you stand on this guy, uh, a, a, an incredible man named Bill Graham just died and, and he's with the Lord and uh, he had a pretty, pretty neat ministry. 
Um, you can sit there and say he did this wrong and that wrong, whatever. Man, the guy preached the gospel. He got the gospel. I don't think we're living in a day like that anymore. I don't think we're living in a day when people understand that there's a Bible, that there's right and wrong, that there's a God, a monotheistic God. This is all our perceived reality. I assume if you're in this room and you're getting this book taught to you in class that you subscribe to this story. You're living in this story. I'm just assuming that right now. But there's the people outside these doors and people that Bill Graham, you know, preached to. We're living in a time of relativism. We're living in a narcissistic culture. And people are perceiving reality through a different lens. And I think as good missionaries, as good evangelists, we're, we're, we want to contextualize the message to the people. This is the challenge of missions. And so to live in a story and look at life through a lens prescribed by this story. So real quick, just, and then I'll get off the classroom Oh, man, I got a little bit more to do on that, the classroom stuff. But Key components of a worldview. Core assumptions that determines how one interprets and interacts with the world. A starting point or an ultimate frame of reference. The, 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 the picture, the, the frame of what you um, view reality with. Paul Hebert. Anybody heard of Paul Hebert before? Worldview assumptions are hardly ever taken for granted, or wait, are taken for granted, hardly ever examined, fundamental givens with which people think not what they think about. You think with. You think with this. You don't think about this. You think with this. This is the grid that determines how you look. Those of you who wear glasses, you take your glasses off, life looks different. You put your glasses on, then life looks different. You look at life through a lens. So it could be likened to a lens, a pair of glasses. So when it comes down to that, understanding a people group, and this is where Amanda and I have spent a lot of our time, is understanding the story that the Stony Nakota people have lived in, and we're going to talk about that here in a few moments. But it comes down to reality. It comes down to ultimate reality. What is their perception of the way life is? Okay, so um, I don't know if I have to click each one of these. Ten realities, okay? Um, if you read different guys, um, so one book I read said ten. Uh, Albert Moeller says there's five. Ravi Zacharias says there's four. A few other guys say there's a few different ones. It doesn't really matter, but there's a reality, and there's a different questions. And how you answer these questions well, I tell you what, right now, God gives an answer to all these questions right here in his book, okay? So in understanding, understanding who am I, you get these things wrong. you got serious problems. you got serious problems. You have an unbiblical view of what God is saying. And my wife and I are driving down yesterday, listening to a book by Paul David Tripp, and she's crying, and I'm feeling really convicted because I got some of this stuff, I'm off, okay? I'm off. Like, I, I, God's got a lot of work to do in me, and I'm thinking... Dude, Lord, I am dropping the ball here and here and here. It's not like we're the haves and the stonies are all the have-nots, but we understand the truth of the message. We understand the core foundation that Jesus Christ is a sufficient Savior, that he could save us and make us right with God. So we talk about the realities, and I want to talk about Jesus. I'm just going to fly through these really fast. Um, who we are, where we are, how do we know? How do we know stuff? How do we know information? Okay? Again, it's kind of classroomy, but who's in control? Who's, who's, the, who's the top dog? Who gets to hold the microphone and say, this is the way it is? Because if you flip open your iPhone and you turn on the television or the Internet or whatever, there's voices that are saying stuff. This is the way it is. And it contradicts the story that we live in, right? And so perceived reality is being defined by media, um, you name it. I won't go into that. Too much. But anyways, uh, where do things belong? This is huge in an animistic culture. Why do things happen? Causality, cause and effect. Man, I can tell you, if you, in stony culture, it's not like, um, 
you start talking about something, you start talking about death. Man, no, I said one time, just dumb as a box of rocks. Hey, we haven't had a funeral around here in a while. Well, who says stuff like that? I did. I don't know why I said it. And, and sure enough, this guy's like, man, we don't talk about that because it's going to happen. Is that the reality? Is that the reality? People always die in threes. Anybody ever heard that before? People always die in threes. Is that reality according to what God? So what does that say about God's sovereignty? Okay, I mean, just saying, like, these are the things that get thrown around, and they're very tacit. They're understood, and they're never really expressed, but we just think through these things. I'm telling you, when you get into another culture, when you, nothing makes sense, these questions are pretty, pretty foundational. Uh, where do things belong? Classification, that's very big in an animistic context. How about the supernatural question? Who are the gods? We know the God. We know Yahweh. We know his story. But who are the gods in their perceived reality? Okay? What's right and wrong? Morality. And who gets to say what's right and wrong? But what's right and wrong, man, that's, that's huge. And finally, destiny and purpose. Why are we here? What are we doing here? Scripture talks to that, doesn't it? Okay? But in the perceived reality of somebody else, and you're trying to just say, well, you need to get off your rear, get off the couch, and um, go make disciples. It's like, well, what's a disciple? You know, that kind of thing. It's, it's, sometimes we, we're so foreign. Our message can be so foreign. So um, I want to read a quote a fellow shared with me years ago. It's the gaps in our understanding about God that cause problems after salvation. The goal of teaching is not just to get a person saved, but to lay the foundation that helps them grow after becoming a believer. So this is the worldview in which we work. Animism. You know the term. I'm sure you've talked about it. Do you talk about it in missions? Is it, does animism get talked about here as a general? I think about two-thirds of the world is animistic. Some people say 40. Some people say 80%. I don't know what the number is. It'd be hard to get an answer, but it's, um, it's, there's a lot of animism going on. So, and this is basically a polytheistic worldview. It's been described as the belief that personal spiritual um, beings and impersonal spiritual forces have power over human affairs. Consequently, human beings must discover what beings are and forces are influencing them in order to determine future action frequently to manipulate their power. Animistic man's regular pursuit is to stay in control of all aspects, all aspects of life with all things serving his will. Um, so just kind of some basic characteristics, and then I'm going to get into uh, the people that we work with, the stony people. Um, holistic. Animistic is uh, holistic. Everything is connected. There's no distinction between the natural and the supernatural. It's all one, okay? Harmony. Um, they can do things to manipulate outcomes. Um, Human-centered, community-oriented. Everything works for man's purposes. It's very man-centered. Very man-centered type thinking. Uh, particularistic, territorial. What I mean is territorial, like... Um, the, gods are, the, the gods or the deities that we have amongst the people that we work with are different from the, the gods or the deities of the, the people in South Africa. So it's very, um, or in Africa for general. So it's, it's very territorial. These are just common things. And finally, and this is a huge one, is pragmatic. Does it work? They want to see something work. They don't want to just, a bunch of abstract information dumped on their heads and say, no, okay, no go figure it out. They want to see it work. It's got to be fleshed out for them, people. This is the challenge of missions, Okay. So a uh, common verse, as I thought through this, was just uh, Romans 1. We've heard that a thousand times. Oh, they knew God. They didn't honor him as God, give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. Foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images made look like mortal men, birds, animals, reptiles. It's as common as anything. That's just happening all the time. 
Um, I dare to say in a town like Bozeman, it's happening here. That kind of thinking is, it's everywhere today. Um, so enter into life with the stony people. Um, this is where we live. Um, well, not in a black and white culture anymore, but thank you. So, um, so we got the stony people. They're, um, they're based, they're, what time are we done? Oh, yeah, four minutes. Great. Okay, we're going to fly. Can I have 55? Okay, thank you. And I, I won't go over. Um, so we've got the stony people. They're living, interacting, hunting, trapping, uh, living life through the story, through the lens of how they perceive reality, interpreting life based on that lens and, and living out what they believe each and every day. Um, up comes Manifest Destiny, 1877. Manifest Destiny, you guys know what that is? We're, like, we're going to go west and like this was probably in... This place was manifest destinated or whatever that is. So, <laughs> Bozeman, Montana. Anyway, so we've got what's called Treaty 7, 1877, where our people that we work with, the Stony Dakotas, they signed a treaty with the government and basically put these people on uh, plots of land all throughout Canada, and they got some, some real estate, and there was a whole bunch of promises. So they're still living in a story, kind of animist, well, not kind of, very animistic, living in fear, um, living in an honor-shame type culture, uh, if you're familiar with that word, phraseology, and now the the white guys show up, um, and uh, they started uh, lots of them coming, and they signed a treaty eventually. And so what happens is now these people are put onto what's called reserves or reservations, I guess we call them here in the states. Um, so relating to life through their traditional lenses. There's a picture of a sweat lodge in the bottom, uh, a young, I believe, a young lady there, just living life now on a reservation. What's changed? What's changed in their thinking? Their perceived reality is not really changed, but their outside forces have changed, and now they're on there. So then we have modernization comes into play, and core assumptions have stayed the same. The way life is, is really the same. So they live life through that lens. So basically, now they're living, now they're living on reserves, and they're looking at life through that lens, and things have changed. Different forces have come in, media has come in, and it changed their thinking on some stuff. But have they been awoken to the reality of what is? And what I mean by that is the reality of what is, the God who is. Not their perceived reality, but the God who is. Have they been, have they been changed by that? And there's some of that going on in, in different, in different um, sects of Stony Nakota culture. So my wife and I, we've been about planting churches or planting a church in a community called Eden Valley. And so we've spent a lot of time. I've spent um, uh, like seven years learning culture and language. So language is the, is the, is the, is the driver of what, we're, what, we're, what, what our thoughts and emotions are, basically our underlying core assumptions about life, our worldview. So as we express life, like Matthew 12, 34, out of older, full of the heart, what? The mouth speaks, right? So we have an overflow in our heart, and we use our language to get it out. Well, the stony people are communicating their worldview, not only through their actions, but through their language as well. So I thought, well, we should learn their language. So we took on a good chunk of our life and, and learned language. And I'm not fully fluent, but I can say a lot of things, and I can understand a lot more than I can say. Um, and it's been an incredible uh, relationship builder, and at the same time, you know, we'll trust that it will serve to... Uh, Clearly communicate the gospel. So we spent a lot of our lives um, doing this. Living life with people. Just, uh... Yeah. Living life with people. All four of those pictures there, something quite crazy is going on. And I don't have the time. 
to uh, explain all that right this morning. But what's going on is people are living out life through the perceived reality. And so we're at a place now where we've spent a lot of years um, learning, understanding, building relationships with the people, done some teaching here and there, um, shared the gospel, personal evangelism, whatever you wanted to say. We've done a lot of that stuff. Haven't seen, um, to be honest with you, we haven't seen a lot of fruit. I'll just be honest with you. But we're at a place now where we've, um, I'm working at summating culture um, through a system, kind of a lot, if you're familiar with New Tribes Mission, a lot of what they're doing, um, summating culture, and now trying to find the, what, the dissonance between what's going on here and the reality of what is, okay? So what's the dissonance? Who's God? Remember those 10 questions I showed? Who are we? Where are we? What's right and wrong? Why do things happen? All these different things, understanding those core uh, reality realms within their culture, and what is the distance between that and the reality of what Scripture teaches? Scripture being ultimate authority, that nothing stands in the way of Scripture. And so now in a culturally relevant way, our desire has been to unfold the Scriptures in a, in a culturally appropriate way, um, in, in challenging those core assumptions, challenging those 10 areas, okay? Challenging those 10 areas with a new reality, with the reality, not a new reality, but the reality of what is, and that's God's word. That's the work of missions, bringing people closer to the God of the, the, the word, the God of the word. We want them to understand in light of the, and that's a whole picture. Um, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is a tough thing because it presumes a lot. It goes back to John 3.16 that I shared earlier. It, it understands that, that somebody has a right understanding of who God is, that someone has a right understanding of who they are. I mean, we're not rubbing shoulders at McDonald's with people who are lost. In their mind, they're like, man, I'm so lost in Adam. I, I just need a Savior. It's not happening. I mean, at least it's not happening in Alberta. Maybe it is here, but it's not happening where we're at, okay? So the, God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. You understand who God is, who you are, what love is, and what a plan for life even is. It presumes a lot. And I don't think we're living in that day and age. And I am not knocking personal evangelism. I shared the gospel with the guy across from the gas pump on Monday of this week. I'm not saying we shouldn't share the gospel. Don't hear that. Don't walk out of here and say that guy's not saying that. But I'm saying in order to clearly communicate a message, take your sleeves off. Get dirty with people. Get in their lives. Get involved. Get understanding what's going on. Because the message is Romans 1.16. is the power of God to salvation. It changes people. It changes people. I mean, this woman married a guy, a guy who was kind of a jerk. And this story changed this guy. And it still is. And I trust it's going on in your lives as well. That's the beautiful thing about living in this story. It changes. We're not stuck. We have the hope, the only hope that there is. So um, that's our desire right now. I'm just going to wrap up in the last minute and a half here. Um, I'm going to skip that video. So I'm going to skip that. Yeah. So our teaching is basically, um, we're kind of uh, big into the chronological approach, anthropological understanding, chronological teaching. I think it's... Uh, it's a great framework. I didn't need to do things the way God laid it out in his word. We can just start at the beginning and start with who's God and who's man and what's the problem. And, and right there in Genesis chapter 315, the, the hope of the Savior that is to come. So our, our desire is to explain the uh, Old Testament concepts of the Bible leading to the finished work of Christ. So using story, using the narrative of Scripture to challenge the story in with which people live. So that's basically that. I want to close with one last thing. 
Um, if you're interested in talking more, come talk to me. Um, I would love to talk to you about Interact, about opportunities. If you get involved with Interact, we have a summer workers working program. It's called Engage. I have information about that. We can talk about that if you're interested. I think we can work out something. If you do offer an internship, we can do stuff on that level. Um, let us know. But uh, I want to close with this one. I just found this about two years ago. C.T. Studd said this. Um, the romance of a missionary is often made up of monotony and drudgery. There often is no glamour in it. doesn't stir a man's spirit or blood. So don't come out to be a missionary as an experiment. It's useless and dangerous. Only come if you feel you'd rather die than not come. There are many trials and hardships. Disappointments are numerous. And the time of learning language is especially trying. Don't come if you want to make a great name or you want to live long. Come if you feel there is no greater honor after living for Christ than to die for Him. That does the trick in the end. It's not the flash in the pan, but the steady giving forth of light. It's shining on and on that we need out here. Our job is to make all hear the Word. God's job is to give penetration to the Word. I might add to that a saying that we heard years ago is, is God in control or does what we do matter? Yeah, figure that one out. Because <laughs> yes is the answer. How we go about presenting the information is, is really important, but it does not negate the sovereignty of God. And He's 100% in control. He's never checked out. Let me close our time in prayer. God, it's about your glory. Um, this is not about us at all. It has nothing to do with us, only in that you would love us enough to use us and, and think enough of us that, that you would want to uh, cause us to be your ambassadors. Lord, we fail, we fall, uh, we really stink at it sometimes, Lord. We need wisdom, and we need to grow up. We need, to, uh, we need your help, and, and we, we thank you for the promised spirit that's, that's living in us, those who are trusting in Christ. Um, Lord, thank you for that. Give us wisdom, Lord, for your glory and for our good. Through Christ I pray. Amen.